Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. On this week's episode, we're going to talk to Tim of Turkey Getter, and he's going to discuss his turkey tour out west, the successes and failures that he experienced out there, and the general turkey decline in his home state and why he thinks that is. I hope you'll enjoy. Returning guest. I always enjoy it when I have someone coming back on the podcast because that normally means the conversation is deepening. It's it's uh, evolving. There's always a better dynamic because they know how to deal with my uh, boisterous personality. So I am glad to have the turkey getter himself back on the podcast. Tim, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Walter. Life is good. Life is really good. When you had a turkey season like you had, life is very good. That's a bit of an understatement. <laughs> yeah. I'm about probably 60 to 70 percent of the way through it now. You know, we got till the end of May. Yeah. I still have another state or two that I didn't get to yet that I'm hoping to step foot in. But <laughs> other than that, um, you know, the, the turkey getter part of everything has been great. You know, we really blew out, you know, probably double the amount of calls that we did last year and um, probably going to have a lot more product coming um, for next year, as well as some different products that the industry hasn't really seen yet, as well as probably some brand changes and so on. So um, as, as far as, you know, usually when I get to this point in the year, I get to relax a little bit more, but I think uh, this summer is going to be uh, busier than prior ones. So it's good things though. So I can't complain. Ain't nobody listening. <laughs> that's right well to give our listeners a little bit of a backstory here um if if you're new and we've had a lot of new listeners uh show up here recently and we're glad to have you but 
in case you haven't had the opportunity, episode 36, we had Tim on, and he told an outstanding story, uh, the the tale of the twice-bitten, twice-bitten. Once cured. Once bitten, twice cured. There you go. Uh, the Tom, and that was an incredible story. It's, it's, it's uh, I think, a, an all-time most downloaded episode, largely because of that story. But uh, Tim, Tim announced that he was going on a multi-state turkey tour. And it should come to no surprise that the reason I'm having him on the podcast is because of the success of that turkey tour. And I'm hoping we can kind of dive into the stories and, and what you encountered. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. I mean, this year is probably – now, I've been at this for about three years um, in search for a Super Slam, which would be um, tagging a, a Tom in every state that has a legal hunting season, which would be everything but Alaska at this point. And uh, <clears throat> this year I had a couple new states on my target, and I had a couple states that I've been to. And at the end of the day, this year would probably be the one that I'd like to talk to about most just because of the way social media perceives. I'm not a huge social media guy, so you don't see a lot of posts out of me, both on personal or the company page. Um, but I just don't agree with the direction that the hunting industry is being perceived on social media, so I just tend to stay off it. But uh, this, the way it was perceived probably is not what we're going to discuss because it just – everything that could have went wrong went wrong on my entire <laughs> long-distance trip. And uh, there's actually a state I didn't even get to, and it's just – it was actually an absolute nightmare, and I killed a couple good birds, and I had a buddy that we killed some birds, and it – all in all, it was great, and I'd love to dig into it. Well, let's uh, let's give them a little bit of the backstory. What, how many states uh, did you did you try and hit this year? So, my plan. What now? Typically, what I do is I I usually start planning um, this trip in January, and then I'll go through this trip, and then I'll start planning my big game trip for the fall, and then it's just a constant cycle. And I try and take one in the spring and one in the fall. So, the long distance trip included the initial plans were to basically fly into uh, western Iowa, drive out to western Nebraska, hunt a couple days there, then run down into north central Kansas, hunt a couple days there, and then pretty much start tailing myself home and stopping in Kentucky to finish off that trip and then drive home. So I was flying out and driving back. That was the initial plans. So everything pretty much went downhill starting in i guess march um so everything was already booked and i had plans to basically start off in western nebraska where i left off last year um that was pretty much some of the best turkey hunting that i ever experienced for merriam's and uh i've been i usually watch the weather as soon as you get to that like 30-day outlook you know and as I got closer and closer to that, um, that the weather for Nebraska was just awful. I mean, I think across the whole United States, I mean, you're in Florida, so it's like 70 and sunny, like 11 months out of the year there, (laughs) but I'd argue, I'd argue 90 and sunny 11 (laughs) months out of the year, but go ahead. Well, I'm low ball. 70, 70 and above and sunny 11 months. There you go. Go go. So, uh, like much of the country, with the exception of Florida, we're pretty much in this 
long cold front that didn't seem to leave. Um, so, which seemed like it was going to be a good thing for my home state in Pennsylvania with, you know, holding off that breeding as long as you can until the season gets there. Um, it was kind of disrupting everything that I had planned for, for my trip. So initially I was supposed to fly out on a Thursday. Um, it would have been a Thursday afternoon. I was taking off a half day of work and then taking off Friday in the following week. And I made the executive decision to, uh, having to cancel that flight because that Saturday and Sunday in Nebraska. Now when the way I hunt turkeys is typically backcountry. So just like a Westerner would hunt backcountry elk, I go and I do that for turkey. Um, so you're in a tent, you're constantly moving on birds, you know, and you're basically just living off the land and off of dehydrated food for a couple of days. <clears throat> so prior to me canceling the flight, the weather for Saturday and Sunday out in Nebraska and so on was like eight degrees at night with a high of being in the teens with freezing rain and snow and everything else. So not only would that just completely shut down the turkey season, it would pretty much be, I wouldn't be able to economically and feasibly travel out there with that, with the proper, you know, clothing and everything else that would be required to survive, you know, those temperatures for a couple of days. So <clears throat> I decided to cancel my flight and rent a car and I was just going to drive it. Um, so looking at the way the weather was, Nebraska was still going to be crappy. Um, basically Saturday through much of Tuesday. <clears throat> so I decided to just flip flop those two States. I was going to just drive to Kansas and meet my buddy in Kansas and then if time allowed to just head up in Nebraska. So Thursday, when I was initially supposed to leave, I was actually in a hockey championship back home here that I figured I could now, you know, make the, make the final game. So played that game and ended up like middle of the second period, ended up pulling a muscle in my groin. No. Oh. So <laughs> here I am like getting ready, like all my stuff's packed and I'm about to go sit in the car for like 27 hours or whatever it is to drive to Kansas and not being able to move this leg. So that was like the first thing that went, went to crap. <clears throat> so I start driving out, I guess, uh, I didn't leave until Saturday, so my goal was to get in there Sunday night. <clears throat> so I left. Um, I think it was Saturday that I left. Um, and got into Nebraska, and it was just, it was awful. I mean, the there was bl the, basically a blizzard came through Nebraska shortly after, or shortly before I arrived into Nebraska trying to get down to Kansas. So uh, it definitely made the trip a lot longer. Um but I was kind of at ease with myself at the fact that I decided not to, not to go through with my initial plans. So I eventually arrived into Kansas um, about Sunday, Sunday afternoon. And we my, met my buddy Joey there. Um, and we stayed basically at his family's uh, house for a couple of days. So it was kind of a more of a relaxing trip than what I was typically used to doing it back country. So so we headed right out as soon as we got in we dropped their stuff we shot the bows a little bit and here's another thing that i screwed up um when i initially set my dates i kind of set them around the shotgun season so when i was 
traveling to Nebraska, I was getting, I was initially going to get to Nebraska on the opening day of shotgun with the possibility of hunt. If, if I got in early enough, or if I felt like driving straight through from Iowa, I, w- I would have been able to hunt with the bow on Friday. So when I was initially packing my car at home, I had no intention of initially taking my bow until I realized that I actually had room for it. So I did pack my bow and thank God I did because I realized when I set those dates up to be in Nebraska or to be in Kansas, I was going to be there for opening day. And being that I switched them, I was about three days early and that was bow only. So, which completely missed my mind. So I got in and I'm like showing Joey this new shotgun setup that I have that I was going to try for this year. You were eager to try that thing. You had been posting videos and everything. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and he gets there and he's like you know it's it's bow season until wednesday i'm like oh, you know and don't get me wrong i love bow hunting turkeys but i was so hyped to just get out there and just lace them down with the shotgun uh and uh so we got in and i started shooting my bow and i am uh, with the weather that we had here i was not disciplined enough to shoot my bow through the winter the last time i fired my bow was when i shot my bear so it was, uh, wow. I, sh- I shook the rust off for a while and <laughs> to the point where I felt confident I can hit a bird and, uh, yeah, we, we headed out. That was uh Sunday right before dark to go try and locate some birds. And, uh, one of the first areas we pulled into, we glassed up a flock of about 40 birds and it was still, pr- it's pretty early in the season out there, mid April. So the birds aren't really, um, they're not really courting the hens to the point where they're going to break up and be in their little groups and, and be hend up. It's more of a, it's more of the whole flock that you're dealing with. Um, so we did run into a flock of like 40 and we uh, <clears throat> kind of made some assumptions of where they were going to roost while we headed out to a couple other uh, areas to check out. So we did end up running into a smaller flock on another area, but we decided we were going to hunt the big flock the first day. And, uh, there were some big old cottonwood trees down at the bottom of this this piece of land, and we kind of figured that the birds were going to roost in there. So went back, um, had some dinner, got a good night's sleep, and then headed out, which would be, uh, I guess that would be Sunday morning. So it was Saturday night that we were out there. So I got my days all screwed up. <clears throat> but so Sunday morning came up, and so we had Sunday, Monday, Tuesday to hunt with the bow, and then Wednesday would be shock opening shotgun season so sunday morning we pack in my buddy joey goes to uh, this little bottom where that where those birds were crossing last night and i went up into a uh, went up into a pasture that was kind of behind where the birds were thinking that they might use that as an escape route to get back to where they were going and uh <clears throat> set up the blinds early and birds started talking and basically you had a very large pasture If I'm talking from like top to bottom, if you think on an aerial, we had a very large pasture at the top. Then we had a bottom, a little creek bottom that was filled with uh, some cottonwoods. And then there's some some smaller brush and and everything else that they kind of used as a as an escape route for some cover. And then at the bottom would would have been a alfalfa field that wasn't planted yet. So uh, I was sitting basically at the top. I had my back to the to the river bottom, the creek bottom, and then I was facing the pasture. <clears throat> and then my buddy Joey was down in the creek bottom where they were crossing um, that we saw last night. 
so the birds take off out of the roost and they end up flying right into that alfalfa field so i knew at that point my hunt was over you know there was no way that they were going to work their way around with the way the land sat to get up into the pasture so uh i was able to i got i basically gave up on the blind and figured i was just going to run and gun them with the bow just like i would with the gun so uh, i snuck down to this bottom and i could see a couple birds strutting out in this alfalfa field and I got basically to the edge of this bottom where it met with the alfalfa field. And <clears throat> I set, I snuck out, crawled out, put out two decoys. And then I backed back in and I moved to my left probably about 30 yards. So the decoys were off to my right about 30 yards. And uh, started calling. And then all of a sudden these two birds just broke off in the back and they just started running in. And one had a limp to them and the other one was just full bore just running right to us um well it was it was just myself joey was up up the way a little bit so i kind of buckled down my intention wasn't to uh sit where i initially sat when i started calling but these birds were running right in i had no choice but to sit there my decoys are off 30 yards to my to my right and this bird is just he's just right on this call and i was hoping I was kind of ducked down behind this, this pretty large cottonwood. And, uh, my intention was this bird's going to come up over this little hill and he's going to see the decoys and he'll be moving from my left to right at about 25 yards or so. And, you know, this should all work out. <clears throat> well, that bird and the bird behind them, they just beelined it right at me. They can give two craps about the decoys <laughs> that were out. And I was, I was pinned down pretty hard. Um, and he eventually came up. It was almost like a little ditch that was between us. And he came up the one side and he was probably only about, I'd say no more than 20 yards. And, uh, I was shooting through some willows. So I got drawn back. And as soon as I drew back, they, they both started putting. And I kind of, I don't know if I punched my trigger or what I did, but the arrow was nowhere close to this bird whatsoever. And, uh, <laughs> being that, that the, the bird kind of flew like, five feet off the ground flew like 10 yards and just kind of sat there and the other bird was right there with them and they were just kind of putting around they're probably only about 30 35 yards at this point um i probably could have called them back in and even got another shot at them with where they were and the fact that i just moved over all my stuff my pack my blind oh, everything no. was dumped over by where the decoys were so i only had one arrow on me the arrow that was initially knocked so I just sit there and just watch these birds basically just walk back off and join back up with the flock. So that was about it for like morning <laughs> one. But in my head, I was like, this is, this is great. Like morning one. Yeah. You know, I broke two birds off that flock and I had an opportunity. So we made some changes throughout the day. Um, we kind of set the blinds up a little bit. I noticed that the birds were totally decoy shy. Um, but I wasn't completely sold on it. I thought maybe, well, maybe they just didn't see him or whatever. Um, so that night I moved back into the roosting area. Um, it was actually kind of nice. If you, the alfalfa field almost was shaped like a handgun, I would say. And these birds were kind of roosting at like the base of the, of the, of the hand grip of the, of the handgun. So it was kind of nice. Like they, they'd fly into that area of the grip of the handgun and then they kind of flow out and then, you know, into the bigger part of the field. So you almost had to like a, a nice little cattle shoot that these birds would basically 
come off the roost into. So we moved the blinds and um, got back set in there that night and the birds flowed back in and they just did like a, I, you know, I had my, I just had a, had a hen decoy out with a non strut, just like a half strut Jake, you know, nothing too um, demanding or too aggressive, but just something to just say, Oh, here's some birds here, you know, cause they were flocked up. So they weren't really looking to battle with each other. They weren't courting hens or any of that yet. Um, so I really didn't put out like an aggressive set. I just put out this little pair and, uh, I had a couple birds come down in, some went behind me in the woods and some walked right down the edge of the field and they got to about 50 yards within those decoys and they just did a semicircle like right around them. And I don't know, was it the blind, was it the decoys or whatever, but <clears throat> now you have to understand these birds are pretty much veterans to this field. They probably are in it every single day, their entire lives. Um, so I guess as soon as they see something that wasn't, wasn't normal, it was more or less like hunting deer with a blind. Like you, you should have had it in there like three months ago. Um, so again, I wasn't completely sold on it. I was like, all right, whatever. Um, maybe that was just the path they wanted to take and stay higher in the field than where the blind was down the bottom a little bit. So we chalked up day one as pretty much a loss and, um, but as a learning experience. Um, so Monday morning rolls around, go back out. My blind was still in where I had it in the roosting area. And I'm thinking, all right, maybe something different is going to happen here um, with it being the morning as opposed to them going to roost. And they've pitched down and they're all within like 70 yards of me as soon as they pitch down. And again, they just completely just beeline to the other side of the field and walk right around me. They can care less about the calling, the decoys, everything. So at that point, I was like, that's it, done. Like, I'm done with the blind, I'm done with the decoys. Um, you could tell that they were just super shy of it. Like, they knew they knew something was up. This isn't, it wasn't normal. So, which was kind of kind of abnormal to me in a sense. And it, Now, these are Rios, and I've personally never hunted Rios. Um, and when you're dealing with a flock of birds that are all moving at once, and you get these two lone, you know, still decoy sitting in a field that don't move you know right, they can right. kind of they can kind of gauge that something's not normal here um you know back home here you, i know people that hunt easterns and they just stick a blind up in the middle of the field that morning and the bird will walk right next to it but the, these birds were a little different being flocked up i think they had some more sense to them um so morning two is pretty much shot as soon as they as soon as they got far enough through that field they would cross a, a dirt road and as soon as they crossed that dirt road, that, that was private property. So we couldn't hunt it. Um, so that morning ended pretty abruptly. Um, we hopped in the car and we drove to that second spot where we saw some birds the, the first night that we were in there and, uh, glassed up <clears throat> quite a few birds Two we noticed two gobblers, a bunch of jakes and a bunch of hens. Um, and we are probably about 700 yards from them. So we pitched, we pitched down into this valley and we just start covering ground. I mean, it was kind of like a, like a slow jog. <laughs> um, and we get set up in this little island. These birds are basically above us in this field. And <clears throat> Joey separates from me. We're probably about 15 yards apart and start calling a little bit. And we didn't hear anything. And then I'm calling again, didn't hear anything. And then this hen starts up. And then after the hen starts up, the gobblers start going. I'm like, all right, we tick the hen off. They're going to come, you know. So 
we're sitting there, no blinds. We're kind of just, you know, nested under pine trees. And uh, these hens just straight line, just come right into this little island of trees that we were in. I mean, the, the patch was probably no bigger, no wider than 50 yards and no longer than 70 yards. And they come in kind of on like the long side and they split the two of us. <laughs> so we got hens that are like five yards from each of us. And then the jakes follow. So now we got like five jakes right in front of us. And I'm waiting for Joey to shoot. You know, I didn't know if Joey was going to. Any bird with a bow is a good bird. I mean, I was yeah. out there in, in hopes to shoot a nice calm. So I let the jakes go by and I'm just waiting for an arrow to hear this arrow go off. And then the two toms they just sat on the edge of the woods and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. You know, everything else came through and those two toms just sat there and sure enough, those hens turned right back around and went right back out the same way. So we had about five or six hens come by us, then five jakes come by us. And then they all went through, turned around and they single file lined it right back out. So it was a great encounter. You know, that, that, that completes my day knowing that we didn't even get a shot off. You know, that was, that was great. So with the shotgun, I probably could have reached out and poked one, um, but we were still in bow season, so we kind of just let the birds walk off. We didn't want to disturb them or educate them too much, knowing that we might come back to them. So uh, I guess second night, I guess that Monday night, we uh, go back to that roosting area and nothing happened again. The birds came in. They just weren't close enough. Um, so then the following morning, which would be Wednesday morning, I guess we're at now. This is the um, third day of the hunt, right? Or, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, Tuesday morning. So this is the last day of bow season. So I decided I'm, I'm giving up on this blind, and I'm going to go across this little, uh, like I talked about before, like this little narrow part of the field where they were coming down into the from the roost. Um, I was going to go on the opposite side, and I was going to use that blind. I left the blind up for, as, you know, purposely knowing that they were going to avoid walking around that and uh it happened perfectly like wednesday morning or i'm sorry tuesday morning they fly down and single file they're just walking by me at like 15 yards and i'm just like nestled down in in like this this pile of sticks from and branches and logs and everything else from when a little bit of that creek bottom was timbered and uh i'm just waiting for a big tom to come by and one Tom comes by and I go to draw back. He starts putting and heads out like 20 yards further. I'm like, all right, I got the next one. Come by again. I, I draw back a lot earlier now and he catches me moving. Five times this happened to me that morning. I was drawn back on five different Toms and I didn't release an arrow. They oh. just, my like, I didn't have enough time to actually really do a good setup knowing that I was going to hunt, like hunt that way at them. Like one more day or two, I probably would have been able to figure it out to the point where I could have hit myself a little bit better. But after five five times drawing back, it was just <laughs> I, that was enough. So the birds eventually crossed the road, and I met back up with Joey, and um, we were pretty. He was pretty frustrated as well. He's been having some birds that were slipping him and everything. So, so that that night we just with shotgun opening the next day, we figured forget it. We're just gonna relax. Um, we went to a bar, we played pool, we ate some bar food and <laughs> we figured we, we just let the birds settle back into their roost, knowing that that, you know, that's where they want to be. And then the next morning with the shotgun, we should be, we should be good <laughs> with, you know, the amount of birds that we could have killed with the shotgun in the first three days with the bow right, right. is just, 
you know, we were very confident that we were going to get some shooting the next day. So Wednesday morning comes, it's shotgun. I'm all giddy because, like, I'm getting itchy here to pull the trigger. <laughs> I would be too, man. <laughs> <laughs> I get set up kind of where I was the morning before with the bow, but I was a little bit I, – I encroached on the roost a little bit. Um, I didn't want to screw up. These birds were the same birds that were eventually coming by Joey. So I figured if I can shoot the, if I could shoot a bird really early, it should settle things back down. So I kind of encroached on the roost a little bit and, uh, I'm just like, please let there be birds here. You know, there was, they, there was 40 birds here the first three days. And then the sun comes up, the birds start gobbling. Then I could start to see them in all the trees. And I'm like, Oh man, this is great. So they start pitching down and they're kind of, they have to w- walk from my left to my right to come by me. So they, when they pitch down, they're all on my left. All the hens are kind of across the field a little bit. And uh, the birds kind of start working towards me. And then all the hens that were across the field just come flying out of the tree. I don't know if there were deer under there or a coyote came through or whatever happened. But it was just, there was probably just 15 birds in the air all at once. And they all flew further to my left. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, they're all going to go through this pasture now, you know. As like this little escape route, something happened and they were all going to go this way. So then they kind of settled down and they started walking the far side of the field from kind of where, where they got busted out of, which I thought was pretty abnormal. Because knowing that they were busted on the opposite side, I'm like, this is great. They should they should want to work this side of the field and stay away from that area. And they started walking and they were all like within 20 yards of my blind on the opposite side of the field. And at this point, I'm trying to to really minimal call because I don't have decoys out. They were already decoy shy and blind shy and everything else. So I was really trying to minimally call just a couple clucks here or there just to keep their attention that there's birds over here. And these birds all kind of like snuck around me at like 70, 80 yards. And I'm like, this is not going well. Um, so those hens that got pushed out of this out of those trees initially – um, they kind of flew down to my left. They were probably only about 40 yards away. And there was one bird that was still up on the roost. And he was he was the last bird out of the tree every morning. And I really thought he was like, he was the king of the roost. He was the big bird. And uh, all the other birds are walking the other end of the field. And this bird pitches down right into these hens. And those hens just start walking through the middle of the field. And I'm like, this is, this is probably going to be my only opportunity. It's the last time of the group. And, uh, he was probably, we stepped it off. It was probably about 45 yards. Um, and he finally gave me a shot. So that was my first time shooting that red dot. And, uh, I just smoked him. So he flopped in the field. The birds kind of got a little nervous. They went everywhere except for these five jakes. I mean, they were about a hundred yards from me. And as soon as they saw that bird flop on the ground, they just turned around and beelined it. So I have like a good like five minute video of them just coming in and beating the crap out of my bird. Um, so I go out and I get the bird and I'm looking at him and he yielded a 10 and three eighths inch beard um, with uh, spurs that were just over an inch and a quarter. And it was just, it was awesome. The, the Rios are beautiful birds. I mean, I got nothing against Easterns and their colors, but the colors, they have a lot more brown in them and gold and, the Rios were just beautiful. So I'm like sitting there 
taking this all in and Joey comes down. Um, the birds eventually made their way across the road and we took some pictures and we're like, all right, let's go get another bird. So we went out to the uh, property where we called in those hens and Jake's and the Tom's held up on us. And uh, we glassed up these birds again and they weren't far, but we kind of had to come in at them a different way. And uh, I got set up and, and, Joey was in front of me a little bit and we worked these birds for like an hour and Joey actually had to do like a little scoot and shoot. He went down this little drainage and came up the over the other side. And finally through my calling, they broke two toms off the group and he ended up making like a 50 yard shot on a tom. So now it's like eight 30 in the morning. We have two toms in. So we go and back into town and get some food and stuff. And he had to go back up to Iowa. He had to go to work the next day. So, I went out that night to go to roost um, and you can hunt them all day out there. Um, so it wasn't like Pennsylvania. Um, so I kind of just nestled in back into these uh, cottonwoods where they were roosting. And I figured I was just going to sit here and not make a peep and see what happens. And uh, it, start, it starts to get dark. Sun starts to go down and I start hearing some hens and the hens start funneling right by me. I mean, they were like within 10 yards and then some Jakes came and walked right by me. And uh, I knew the Toms were around, but I was sitting in this bottom and I could only see like up in this pasture that I was talking about. Maybe I could probably only see like the first 20 yards of it. Um, so I can actually hear this bird drumming, spitting and drumming, spitting and drumming. And I'm like, I know there's a Tom close here. So I started Kiki running, um, which a lot of people don't do in this spring it's pretty much a, a hen's call to collect to bring all the birds in you know what i mean it's kind of like sure. mother hen saying get your butt over here kind of like a doe bleat to a fawn almost right <laughs> yeah okay. yeah so so i started kiki running and uh it kind of got every bird kind of in the area a little excited and uh these birds just came up it was like the prettiest thing because like i'm looking basically the pasture is to my west so the sun's setting behind him and you just see these two full strut birds just like come over the pasture into the sunset and i'm like this is freaking awesome <laughs> so i see i could see the one bird was stayed in full strut the whole time the other bird was definitely not as dominant but i could see he had a good beard on him so i'm, I'm kind of already shifted i got my gun on them and uh i got picky and I'm like, I'm going to wait for that bird that's in a strut to come out of strut and instead of shooting the one that was, was there and I could see the beard hanging off him. So finally that bird comes out of strut and he's within range and I pull up the red dot into the sunset and you can barely see the red dot. <laughs> oh God. Oh, like all I can see is like a little bit of red light. And I'm like, I think that, I think I'm on him here. And, oh uh, no. I let the shot go about 35 yards and I ended up, I ended up putting him down. And uh, I walk up to him and he's like, I, I, I've shot a ton of birds, but I've never shot like that paintbrush bearded bird, you know, that has like 150 strands, 200 strands to his beard. I shoot right. the birds that have like, you know, 30 to 40 strands on their beard. <laughs> so I go up there and I start looking at him and stuff. And here he had beard rot. Um, so his beard was only about four inches, but man, it, it had freaking 300 strands to it. I mean, it was just a paintbrush. <laughs> and I was wow. like, son of a gun. It looked like the end of a broom. Like, it was like, because <laughs> all it was, it was just stubby. 
And, uh, but he had great hooks on him. His, his spurs went an inch and a quarter. So one, that one day in Kansas, we shot three birds, um, 10 and three eighths inch, uh, Joey's was eight and a half. And then I shot this bird with beard rot, but the spurs, I mean, Joey's was, Joey's was a good two year old. It had a good inch spurs on it, but the other two that I shot, man, they were just straight limb hangers. And it was, it was great to start the trip after everything I've been through initially. So, uh, that night I go back to Joey's dad's house and, uh, I donated some meat to him and, uh, I figured I was just going to head right out. I had like a, I was going to go up to Nebraska. I had like one day of good weather up there. I was going to go up to Western Nebraska where I was used to see him where I hunted the year before. So, uh, I left at like, I don't know, probably almost 10 o'clock at night. It was like a five hour drive. Let's let's pa- let's pause real quick, and and I hate Go to interrupt, ahead. but I just I'm curious, what was your outlook on the turkey tour at this point? What was my outlook on what on the turkey tour at this point? Because before you know you had this this ominous <sighs> weather and things aren't going right. Are you starting to feel a little bit better about the turkey tour at this point? Or at, at this point, being that I punched the tags in Kansas and they were two awesome birds, I was I was done. Okay, like all right. In my mind, I was like, this was worth it if i don't hear another gobble from here on out you know my the trip is sold gotcha you know yeah 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 so i was i was on cloud nine and the adrenaline was going so i figured while it's going i'm just gonna drive overnight and uh so i really had good intentions though going into nebraska because like i said this was the place that i hunted all to myself last year there's birds all over i took great merriam and yeah i was really looking forward I, i thought this can be you know, this can top my trip from last year. Right, right. <laughs> so I ended up stopping at like a little rest stop, taking a little hour nap, and then getting basically getting into the town that's just outside of the area I hunt um, about an hour before daylight. So the issue I ran into last year when I backcountried it was there's no water out there for me to filter. Um, so I stopped, grabbed a small case of water, filled up my pack, um, pulled into the parking spot. Unfortunately, there was nobody there. I was probably about a half hour out from birds gobbling. And I just threw my pack on and just, you know, power walking, um, to get uh, about two, two and a half miles back. Um, and the, this terrain is, it's, it's all open. It's, it's pine bottoms and, and giant canyons. And it, you think Nebraska and you think it's all nice and flat, but like the Western part, you know, I'm within like 30 miles of Wyoming here. So it, it's just, it's mountainous. Um, so I get back and I start hearing some birds. Um, by the time I kind of got to where I wanted to be, they were out of the tree. Um, so I started chasing a couple trying to get basically around them. Um, but at the end of the day, like come mid morning, I was pretty, I was pretty disappointed. Um, I ran into, the feathers of probably about seven or eight birds across an additional mile. Um, and I saw a pile of mule deer, um, but I only saw, I only put my binoculars on four birds, uh, four gobblers. And only one was probably one I, I really felt like chasing. Um, two were Jake's and one was a bird that just, um, you know, it's probably a younger two year old. He didn't have a good beard on him. So I, I chased this one gobbler for most of the morning and, and, um, he kind of defeated me by just, 
outstepping me over these canyons and just got too far out for me to um, want to chase them, knowing that there were some other birds around the area. And uh, by noon, I was like, this is uh, this is not what I really thought it was um, compared to last year. Um, so they had, they had some real bad winter kill, it seemed. Like I said, I found a ton of dead birds um, or the remnants of birds. And uh, I was kind of... I was, I was a little disappointed at that point, but I'm also like just looking to future years. Like, I don't know what this whole area is going to be, you know, years from now. Um, so I kind of recollected myself and looked at the weather and the weather was going to be pretty crappy the next couple of days out there between the wind and rain. Um, the wind was supposed to get up into the 40, 50 mile an hour gusts, which was, it, it's going to be hard to hunt birds in that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I made the executive decision that, you know, I'm, I'm later in the week. I lost two days already just because of the time I got out by the time I got out there with the weather in Nebraska initially. So I kind of crossed Kentucky off my list and just figured, forget it. Um, and then kind of sat there at camp and just started looking at different parts of Nebraska where the weather was going to, um, you know, cooperate with good turkey hunting. And I was just going to make a move and I was going to head back basically to the Eastern part of Nebraska. Um, so I knew there were birds out there, but with the weather and with it not being like it was the year before, I really, um, just decided I wanted to do something a little new. Um, so I basically took my pack for a good hike, got some good physical conditioning in, but I was back at the truck probably, you know, nine ten hours later so a little bit of sleep and then i uh, started heading back to eastern nebraska i uh, dropped some pins on an aerial of a of a another public land piece that i wanted to check out and just started driving it and i pulled into this area there was nobody there i was about an hour left the daylight and i just started hiking um so i went to an area that um was a mix it had some open fields that you could tell the uh the dnr the game commission out there was taken care of so you knew there was some good food source um from aerials different types of aerial layers i was looking at you can tell there were some old growth trees so there's probably going to be some good roosting trees and then uh there was a good river um good sized river that basically bordered the northern half of the property so I don't know if you ever heard the saying, but a turkey likes to hear its poop hit the water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so my, my goal was to basically find these little creek bottoms that came off this river and, and get in there. Um, so I, I got changed at the car and I start heading back and I kind of stop right around where I dropped a couple pins um, for some ideal roosting areas that I was able to see. And I was probably standing there for no more than two minutes and this bird flies up in a tree and <clears throat> I'm like, okay, that's good. Now, you know, what is it? Is it a hen? Is it a gobbler? Is there more or whatever? So I didn't hear any more birds go up there. And then just before dark, he just starts hammering. And I'm like, and I'm probably only 50 yards from him, 50, 60 yards. It's pretty thick. Um, but I got him cornered. Um, I'm basically on the North end of this property in an area where this river comes around and almost creates like a peninsula and this bird is roosted right on the peninsula. So knowing that he's 
90% most likely not going to pitch out and cross this river. He's got, I'm dealing with about a 30 degree angle here of where he's going to exit tomorrow morning. So I was feeling really good. So I sneak out after it's dark and he, he probably gobbled a hundred times on the roost and I'm not even exaggerating. He was just, he was hot. He was hot. So I'm like, this bird is, I got a really good chance of killing this bird tomorrow morning. So I come back to my car. I set up camp in the one parking area and uh, not where I was going to be. Um, I kind of moved down the road a little bit, so I didn't give away my spot because <laughs> this is public land after all. So I get up the next morning. I pack my stuff up, throw it in the car, drive up the road about a half mile, pull into a different parking area that I can get in at this bird. And I sneak in probably 45 minutes before the first gobble. And I, I sneak into where I'm a, probably about 40 yards from this guy's roost into a an area of, of woods that I know I can actually shoot through. Because a lot of the area was thick, but I was in a good opening. And it uh, starts getting light, and he starts gobbling. He gobbled maybe about five, six times on the tree, and then just shut up. And the next thing I know, here comes a hunter down the one path. And he's just walking and calling and calling and calling and i'm like oh my god so i can actually see this bird in the tree and i know that he saw that guy and that bird sat up there for he didn't gobble once more after that he sat up there for probably about another hour after that hunter came through and i didn't call because if i called i would have made it even look more you know more uh, i would have worsened the situation than what it already was so this bird pitches down and starts walking the other way. Um, well, he pitched down away from me. So I I kind of just threw in the towel there. I was pretty wiped myself. I was happy with the Rios. Um, so I decided just to head back and change my luck into Pennsylvania. So that was pretty much the long distance trip was, was in the books. Um, and I was happy with it, um, knowing that I... I, <laughs> with everything I went through, I think I hunted as much as I was able to. Um, I slept the least a bit I was able to and <laughs> put a, put a lot of miles on the vehicle. Um, but it was a rental. So typically I, I rent, it seems to work out if you rent a small a vehicle with better gas mileage rather than taking a, like I, I own a pickup truck. So driving across the country, it's usually cheaper to just to rent. Um, and so there's a tip for anybody that's ever thinking about doing these types of trips. Um, so then I got back with really next to no scouting time for Pennsylvania. Um, so I got back, I think it was a Sunday and then Pennsylvania's uh, first day was opening on Saturday. So I, I had that week to find a bird, um, dealt with a lot of rain. Um, didn't actually hear single gobble in Pennsylvania before the season. So I, I resorted to a spot where I killed my second bird last year. Um, and that bird, the, the second bird I killed last year, he, he ousted me twice. Um, and then I killed him on the third day. So I get in Saturday morning and there's a bird roost in the same tree that this bird was the last year. So instinct would tell you, you should probably set up the way you killed the last bird. Um, so I did and he kind of, 
I got him to come in. He probably held up about 40 yards, and the fog was so so thick that day, you could probably only see like 25. So he eventually gave up and crossed the road off the property, and that was it for my for my opening day. But it's just the area of Pennsylvania that I'm in, I'm in, which is considered the northeast of the Poconos. There is just whether the birds got bird flu or West Nile or whatever it is, there's just no birds around here like they used to be. Um, and I think the fishers and the coyotes, I think they all kind of do their part, but I really don't think it's to the magnitude that I'm seeing the effects of it over the last few years. Um, like I was saying to you before we started recording, there was the, the lease that I have not far from my house. I mean, there's, you used to hear about, you know, anywhere from eight to 10 birds all year um, within earshot of that property. And now there's one and there was one last year. So that's a bird. I'm just not going to hunt. Cause I know if I, if I kill that bird, then, you know, that could be, that could be it for that property for a lot of years to come until the pop, the population starts to make a comeback. So <clears throat> that was Saturday. We can't hunt Sunday here. Um, Sunday Which I was going to use it. <laughs> I just need to go on the record of saying that. Go ahead. Right. Um, so Sunday, I typically use a scouting days. Like this morning, I was out looking for a bird now. But um, but Sunday was just, I think it was just a washout and wind and everything else. So I just elected to sleep instead. Um, Monday, Tuesday. Um, Monday, I went back down to hunt that bird that snuck on me on Saturday. He wasn't there. Tuesday, went back there. Um, he was there, but he wasn't on the property. Um, I tried to get around him going through the swamp and everything. And outside of basically soaking myself up to my crotch, it was pretty much a lost cause. Um, so Wednesday hit and I called up a guy that invited me to hunt years ago. And I never really took him up on it. Never really had to. He's always like, Oh yeah, there's birds around up here. If you ever want to come up, come shoot a bird. So, uh, I'm like, okay, this is like my emergency phone call here. Like, this is my last chance to like try and get on birds, at least within the first week here. Um, so I sent him a text message and he got right back. He's like, here, absolutely. You know, I own 24 acres. My neighbor owns 20. You can hunt his land. He sent me the, the address. I pulled it up on Onyx, printed out all the aerial layers that I can to try and figure out where a bird's going to be on this property. Um, the only downfall was, is it's like an hour and 45 minutes from my house. So it's a bit of a drive. Yeah. So Wednesday morning, I wake up three o'clock, start driving. Um, I pull into the, his property at five. Um, he told me the day before he says, you know, I'm off. I'm off tomorrow, which would have been the day that I was hunting. He said, after I get my kids to school, I'll come out and I'll, I'll hunt with you. You know, I'll show you around a little bit. I was like, great. So I pull in roughly around five hiked back to the back end of his property, um, let it get light and birds start gobbling around the area, but nothing immediately close until this one bird sounds off. He's about a 150 yards off this guy's property to the back of it. So I'm like, okay, there's a bird here. I, I know he's within earshot of my calls. So I back up, I set a decoy out in the, in the small little ag field he has there. And, uh, I'm just standing up against the tree I'm waiting for him to fly down. I don't talk to them on the roost typically ever. So I'm just 
with this ag field, I'm like, maybe there's a chance I'm kind of on this ridge that feeds into this ag field. I'm like, maybe there's a chance he's going to walk this ridge and come down in the field without me having to do much. So he flies down and he, now he's instead of 150, he's 200 yards away. So I start calling and he fires up and the next time he gobbles, he's like 50 yards closer. So now I'm like, oh, crap, you know, I should probably sit down and try and find a place to sit. Well, this bird shows up. I mean, he probably gobble, gobbled about five, six times. But I heard him coming through the woods when he was like 80 yards away. I mean, he was just on a dead sprint. And I don't know what it was. I don't I, Did I just find the right temperature bird or, or what it was? But this bird just comes flying across this ridge at full speed makes a 90 degree turn out at like 60 yards from me and walks and basically jogs like right by me at like 25 yards catches catches the decoy out in the field stops and looks up and i i shoot him so i run over i pick him up take pictures of him i'm back at my truck before six o'clock I send a text message to the guy with a picture of the bird. <laughs> <laughs> I drive all the way back. I had every intention to take a half day from work. I drive all the way back, go right to work. Didn't have to take any time off. <laughs> and I get a message back from my buddy. He says, well, if I would have known it was going to be like that, I would have just mailed it to you. <laughs> 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 so that bird had a nine and a half inch beard. He was over 20 pounds and he had about an inch spurs. I mean, it was just a solid two year old that I just, I love playing with. So, um, so it was a, it was a very efficient Turkey season so far. Um, now we talked last time about that triple trophy and what to do and with the bow or the gun. So obviously I elected to just take the shotgun and get this out of the way and get it off my back. So by shooting that bird, I didn't, I did notch my triple trophy. So I got the buck, the bear and the, and the Turkey in one, in one season. So, that was probably the most rewarding part of it. Um, so now I've put the shotgun down and I've been, uh, that Wednesday was only about a week. We can, it'll be two weeks this Wednesday ago. So, um, so I've been chasing them with the bow for about a week now. And, uh, again, it's been, I've been electing, I've been selecting what days to hunt based on good weather because it's been such a drive. Um, I've been driving anywhere from about 45 minutes to an hour from my house to try and get into birds um, that I can hunt. I mean, the public land around here has really gone downhill as far as uh, turkey population, um, but other parts of public land outside of this county or this unit um, has been pretty good. So I have been chasing them with the with the bow. They've been... Uh, I haven't been using a blind or anything. I just basically using my run and gun tactics just with a different weapon. So, uh, I have not released an arrow yet, but, um, this morning I got back into some more birds. Um, so I'm hoping this week kind of continue this onslaught. And then eventually now my plan for the Turkey tour was to also hit New York. Um, so New York opened May 1st and with how delayed the woods have been with, um, basically the spring growth coming and how delayed, uh, turkey season and the breeding season has been. Um, I kind of put off New York probably until this week and next week I'll probably go up. So, so that's pretty much where I stand right now. <laughs> now I, I'm going to, I'm going to 
go out on a limb here and say that you're not probably going to get very much sympathy from our listeners given the the success that you had. I know you said it was a it was a tough season, but uh, from my standpoint, I saw one bird one time and heard eight gobbles. So, <laughs> you also, so what you're saying you, is, come on this turkey tour next year. That. <laughs> well, I was about to say, you did outwork me. I'll give you that part, you know. So, <laughs> but, yeah, no, you, if you keep throwing that option out there, you threw that option out the last time, you're, you're going to end up with a fat bearded guy uh, lugging around <laughs> back behind you. So, be, be careful uh, what you offer. <laughs> I, I would welcome it, seriously. Um, yeah. I, you know, this – this season has definitely tested the amount of work that has to go into it. Sure. Um, the last few years I've been fortunate, um, when there was a good population around. Um, so whether, whether it's bird flu or West Nile or whatever's taking these birds out, um, when the good population was around, I was kind of spoiled because I didn't have to go far to get into birds. I could hunt them every single morning before work. I can get a solid two, two and a half hour hunt in. And I was typically, you know, this year was the first year, I guess it was that first Tuesday. Um, so the day before I killed my bird, the first time in two or three years that I went um, one day without hearing a gobble. So that can kind of put it in perspective there that, you know, I, I it's been that long since I went a full hunting day <laughs> without hearing a bird gobble. So, which is a pretty substantial amount of time um, knowing that you can <laughs> typically chase a bird if it's goblin so right um that you can create a lot of opportunities that way um so this year like i said this was the first year in quite a while that i went a day without hearing one so now it has only been one day so i guess that's a good thing too (laughs) yeah that's that's a benefit (laughs) well but go man i mean that that's i'm gonna be honest with you. i i, I kind of poked fun at, at your success there you did work for it and i'm i'm, I'm happy for you dude i mean i, I don't want to make it that. sound like i'm i'm being uh because of my poor uh poor options here you know i'm not downing on you i'm just saying that's uh well, that's a hell of a spring out, season i appreciate that i was out this morning um along this other river uh trying to find birds because like i said you can't hunt on sundays and um so now i got about probably 30 different layers of aerials laid out on the coffee table down there. And I'm going to probably dissect them through the rest of the day and hopefully be able to sling an arrow sometime this week. Um, but it, it, it's not like it used to be. I, I definitely think Pennsylvania's population as a whole has been decreasing for like the last 10 years, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping whether the game commission or the NWTF or somebody steps in to kind of help that and, I don't know what it's like down by you as far as population goes. It sounded like you had a rough year, and I don't know if it's just – is it just your area or is it the state as a whole or, or what it is? Well, it really what I think it is is I think um, I'm quite confident. So y'all had this like cold, snowy storm that just never lifted up off y'all. That the t- The tip of that, the very beginning of that, um, got us – but it got us after we had incredibly warm weather for February. I'm talking in February, it was in like the low to mid 80s for about a week and a half. And we had birds. So that got the birds geared up. It then. did. It did. And my buddy was sending me messages like, hey, dad just told me that, that he's got birds uh, breeding. Tom's breeding hens right now. I'm like, oh, well, hell, there goes the damn season. And then what happened is yep. we had 10 days of that kind of weather. And then it went down to, to below freezing for a solid week. And it and wow. and and we just could not catch a break. Now, don't get me wrong, 
I am I am not a passionate turkey hunter like yourself. I haven't been. I'm starting to <laughs> I'm starting to work that direction. But when I mm-hmm. take time off, I mean I've got my CPA studies and the podcast. If I'm gonna take time off, it's gonna be for the rut. You know, that's that's just right. you know, that's me. Right. And this spring I didn't take any time off and every weekend that came by that I had to hunt, every opportunity that I had, it was just super cold weather. And down here, those birds just shut down when it comes yeah. to cold weather during turkey season. Yep. Yeah, we got a cold front in here the last two days, and the gobbling has really, has really been limited. Um, but but it, with that warm weather spell coming right before your season and going back to cold, it definitely it definitely screws them up. I mean, the way the, the hens typically won't breed until that till that daytime. You know, the the amount of sunlight is approximately about half the day you know, where they can sit on the nest for a good majority. And we've had some really wet springs here that I think they've been killing our hatches the last few years where you're only, where, where you're only seeing two to three pullets rather than like eight to 10. Um, but th- that weather, because I always pray for a, kind of a, a long or winter because regardless of that, of that daytime being extended um, where those hens are going to want to sit on the, sit on the nest if that weather's not good those birds ain't doing anything so i definitely think that that has a, a large effect on it as, as well as the as the daytime amount but um i've seen that where that that's super critical here well we'll have a we'll have a warm march and then even if it's a warm april those birds are done by may or we'll have a warm march and a cold april and those birds that you were seeing strutting and and courting their hens in March aren't even interested come like mid to late May. So you got like a couple, couple first weeks of the season and that's it. Well, and again, and let's compare this year to the last two years. I got incredibly close several times and uh, you know, I buggered different things. I moved when I shouldn't have moved or I thought they were further away and I got too close and busted them. Just a lot of things. I had one bird that had, I had, had I not had that Creek between me and that bird, there's no way he wouldn't have died. I mean, he was just, he wanted to cross that Creek so bad. I just couldn't convince him. But both of those years, February were record cold years. So January was cold and February was freaking brutal, dude. I'm talking for for Florida weather. We had a week last year, the last ten days of February and the first two days of March. It the highs were in the low 40s and the lows were down in 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 like the low 20s. And and for this area, that's just like for it to be sustained for that long, it was unreal. So you have these you have these birds like you're talking about that are starting to get kind of the, the daylight hours are starting to hit their eyes and everything. And then it went from extremely cold to quite warm overnight. And the birds were just everywhere talking, dude. It was incredible. Yeah. And it was the exact yeah, opposite like it, here. This, uh, like, we're in a little cold front right here. It's been here for maybe the past two days or so. Tomorrow's supposed to start the warm-up. So tomorrow might be okay. But, like, later in the week, as soon as we get back up into the 70s and 60s at night, the place, will, the, this area will probably erupt again for another week or two if it stays that way. So it it, it definitely has a, a large effect. Now, I did there i had some buddies that killed some um yesterday that they were talking through the rain and stuff and uh my one good friend shot a nice bird and you know it it can happen but you gotta put yourself out there um the other thing is is being on those fields on those days you know if 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 that bird's gonna be wet he's gonna want to dry off somewhere and that's not gonna be in in the woods where you know the ferns are up to his up to the top of his wings so they're going to want to get to the openings and that 
such. So we changed tactics and, and stuff like that to try and to try and deal with the weather. But again, you gotta. It's very hard to hunt birds when they're not talking and you don't know where where you're going. Well, and and I also and you know people are probably gonna say I'm foolish for this. I refuse to hunt turkeys like deer. Like uh, the appeal to me for turkey hunting is not sitting in a spot and waiting for them to come by eventually, like without exactly. any without any interaction. I don't no. I, I don't knock people for doing it. I just personally speaking, I am not going to just sit there for seven hours flipping through Instagram waiting for a turkey to come by. I mean, it just that's just not I, you know. I, and, yeah, I had a, I had places where I could have just waited. You know, the sign was there. These these birds it, but it's that's not the excitement of turkey hunting. no it's that's not no, that's not the it's not the reality or or what i want out of it either right um, well, this it, is this is why in kansas i lasted like a solid <laughs> day and a half in a blind until i had to give it up and just use it as a prop to try and get these birds to go around right <laughs> yeah exactly and, and and some birds you know i think it's the i think it's the merriams they just don't talk very much right is it the merriams or the rios uh well they both talk um if anything i would say the easterns are probably the least talkative um, really i was talking to somebody else and yeah. they said the exact opposite that's so weird no, i mean the the merriams love to talk i mean they're and like i said this is my first time hunting rios okay but uh they they were pretty relative to the to the merriams okay uh, okay yeah you know, to to the point where they were they were gobbling 20 30 times on the roost and then hitting the ground and you know they'd go for the first hour or two goblin and i mean we were striking them up in the middle of the day too so i mean it's just that they're a lot different out there yeah um but again you're hunting birds mostly in pretty vast open areas i mean there's not a lot of woods in north central or uh, north central kansas <laughs> there's a couple of river bottoms that you can get to and if you find those roosting trees you could be you could benefit pretty well and that's what we did that was pr- kind of like our primary goal was like let's find some areas where we think they're going to roost and if we can get on a flock then we should have a pretty good time right. <laughs> and we did and that's what happened it just took those couple days of bow season to try and figure out okay what right at the end right. of the day where do these birds want to be and and i couldn't tell you what those birds do between 11 a.m and and 6 p.m <laughs> but between but between the roost and 11 a.m and then 6 p.m until they roost again right. i could tell you right. what where they're going to be and whether or not it works in your favor that was just that was luck of the draw but sure it wasn't the it definitely was not the most call receptive bird um because we were dealing with the flock now like i said that first day when i broke off those two gobblers initially um that was probably the most exciting cat mouse game that i had um which was the first encounter but uh, along with the other time when we pulled in the hens and the jakes and the toms stayed out away from us but like I'm constantly playing cat and mouse with Easterns. There's, there's no place within like three hours of me that I know that I can go sit on the edge of a field and see 40 Easterns fly into the field. So it was definitely different, which is why I enjoyed doing this trip to begin with, because it, it, it's Turkey hunting, but it's definitely different than the way I experienced Turkey hunting in my home state. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey man, you got on the birds. There's not much else to say about that. And they're beautiful birds. I encourage everybody to go to your Instagram and look at them because as you've been talking, I kind of followed the chronicles as you were going through the story. And I think that'd be kind of cool for everybody else who's listening. If you want to go to his Instagram and you can kind of see these little updates that he gives and 
Those are just some some absolutely gorgeous birds. That first one you killed in Kansas had some massive oh. spurs, dude. Oh my gosh! The spurs, and even after like Joey, when we called that bird in for Joey, man, he killed a great bird. I mean, it was just a solid twenty pound two year old bird. And you put the if you, I think I might have a picture up there of his bird and my bird together. Yep, we you killed do. them within like three hours. But if you just look at the mass of like the difference in the size of the birds. That that bird was, I mean, he was king of that roost, and uh, the way it just happened, man, it, uh, you know, I was so depressed when I saw these birds basically exiting the field at like seventy yards, and I'm sitting there with a shotgun, you know. <laughs> but the way the way that I was able to just be able to get an opportunity at him, man, that bird, I I was so close to bringing that bird home to get it mounted, and Joey's like, "Don't worry, you'll shoot one over ten inches another year." <laughs> so. <laughs> That yeah, you, if you shoot another one like that, you need to get them full full body mounted. Well, my goal is to get this get a grand slam mount going. So oh, I have the look at you. I have the Merriam in the process. I want to build the base for it, and then eventually have four different positions, one of each of the you know the four Clever. in the United States. So Clever. So that's 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 the overall goal. You know. My- whether I have wall space for it or not, which is probably a different story. I might have to build another room just for it. But My, I, you, you talked about wall space. My wife would kill me if I brought full, four full-mounted birds into this house, full-body-mounted turkeys. She would literally look at me and just laugh and walk away. She, she would just she would just default to he's joking. Like you'd have to mount them to your truck or something so you can keep them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. She would she would not have that man. The, the compromise for so you know. My wife is is um, very very city. I mean, she's very you know not country life, and she's starting to get that way. But she doesn't like the idea of having dead things on the walls as it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I compromise by putting like euro mounts. You know that way it has some uh, kind of like visual yeah. appeal to her. And I, I've always kind of appreciated a euro mount a little more than a shoulder mount. I do just, too. It, it it definitely eases up the pocketbook too. Well, <laughs> yeah. There's <laughs> yeah. Especially if you DIY it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, that's that's the next goal. What the, the when I killed my big my big eight here in Florida, I went ahead and had it professionally done just because I didn't. I was in an apartment. You want to screw it up? Well, right, I just yeah. I didn't have a space for it. You know, I'm going to be out there talking to the neighbor while he's barbecuing and I'm bleach. I'm boiling uh, a skull. I just I could just see the the landlord coming out and be like, hey, uh, <laughs> but. Yeah, no, I mean, you can you can do some cool things. I saw online the other day where the guy took, like, uh, he shot a coos deer. It was a beautiful, like, 110-inch, which is a massive coos deer, from, mm-hmm. from what mm-hmm. I can tell. And he uh, he did it on, he shot it on an Indian reservation, and he, and he did, like, native beadwork on it to kind of commemorate oh, nice. that. And I was like, that's cool. And yeah, I'll be honest with you. I also feel like a Euro mount kind of shows the full life cycle. Like if you put, do a shoulder mount, I have nothing against you. If you do a shoulder mount, I just want to be clear who anybody who's <laughs> listening, I don't care. But to me, my personal preference is it's a dead animal and it, it ought to kind of look like the life cycle has come to a completion. Yeah. That's just my preference. And a, yeah, and a Euro mount absolutely. does that, you know? So. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a mix. I mean, unfortunately I've been, exceeding my whitetails by approximately like five to seven inches every year so it's like if you, if you shoot a 120 inch buck and you get it mounted and then you shoot a 127 inch buck you kind of got to get it mounted yeah so like the last like three to four years i've been up in the score by like 
five to seven inches. And I'm like, well, this one's got to go to the taxidermist. So I guess it's a good way to start rather than shooting like 170 inch on my first one and then not wanting to get anything else mounted. But, <laughs> but my my taxidermy bill since the last time we talked has uh, has decreased. So what, uh, do they just give you partially an oper- paid off? <laughs> do they just give you an operating line of credit at this point? Because it seems like <laughs> you're just rolling in every month or so with with a whole new oh, thing, man. Right? The, the guy just laughs at me when I show up anymore because he's like, I just, I just changed taxidermist this past year. And, you know, I, I went down and talked to him and my prior taxidermist was actually working for him for a little bit. So my prior taxidermist kind of just went off the deep end and just stopped doing work for people. Like it was taking years and years to get stuff back. Oh, that's and not I, right. So I met this guy through him initially, and after, like, my prior taxidermist left, I was like, hey, can you be my new taxidermist? And, you know, the guy was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, whatever you need, just bring it down. Well, like, I show up, like, two weeks later, and then two weeks after that, and then, like, two weeks after that, and he was – it's just like – I, I told him, like, look, I don't get everything on it, but it was just one of those years. And he was kind of like, well, I'm happy that you made the switch. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he is. He, he he's sitting at, he's sitting at home right now listening to the podcast, and he's going, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and build an extra room on my house because <laughs> <laughs> hopefully it keeps up. Yeah. I mean, I got I now that turkey season's coming and I'll start planning my big game sure. trip in the fall, man. So sure. I uh, I definitely have been enjoying it this past year. It's been it's been a very efficient year. I haven't actually logged as many hunt hours as i mm-hmm. have in prior years but it's just been a very it's been more more preseason and more aerial study than anything i think so so far it, it it paid off at least this past year and you know you just if you have the time away from work you know that you can go and you can check trail you can run mm-hmm. a dozen trail cameras and stuff and that's great i i don't like my, my job is flexible in itself like some people are like oh do you work or do you just hunt for a living and I kind of say I hunt for a living and then I just work to feed myself. But, <laughs> but I mean, there's, in my mind, it's been with it, the more, the more time I put behind a desk or I put on a construction site right now, the less time I have to do it during a season. Sure. sure. I got, I got, I got some good comp time with my job, so I can work. Most of my busy work is in the summer, so I can log my hours in the summer. And then if I can dip out on a, you know, nice calm fall day i can go jump in a tree stand from two o'clock until till dark you know so that's been very beneficial but it also with being behind the desk it leads me to doing a lot of my studies and a lot of my trip planning and all that which is probably my favorite part leads me to a computer screen you know onyx has been good um there's a couple other programs that i use in conjunction with that um and the way it happened in nebraska where like i just sat at a rest stop i remember sitting at a rest stop and looking at onyx on the size of my cell phone here and just being like i want to be right there i think there's going to be a bird roosting in there and then go there and this bird flies up 50 yards from me it was kind of like holy crap this stuff actually works so yeah so i think once that clicks a couple times i actually have a lot of i have a lot of positive outcome and i have a lot of confidence in the fact that you can definitely learn a lot just by staring at that stuff oh yeah well i mean I want to know how many economic hours have been wasted. Like, how many people have spent work hours just staring at Onyx at maps and not getting anything done? I bet you it would scare employers. I, I, I bet you I'd be fired. <laughs> well, so, 
Yeah, I'm not. Never mind. I'm not gonna make that comment on the recording. But yeah, <laughs> I'd probably be in trouble too. You know. So you know, life life hack. Uh, if you're if you're ever uh, on on X map and you identify a nice spot, Google Maps. You can always just say you were looking up directions for something. It's an easy out. You, know, you might not have the layering exactly. tools, but you can still. Well, see, uh... <laughs> see I, I I do construction management, so we deal with. Uh... We also have like a survey group. Sure. So we deal with like a lot of tax parcels. Oh, so GIS I actually maps. use Onyx. I actually use Onyx for tax parcels. Nice. Like I can see because you could see you could see names and you can see property lines on there. Yeah. So it actually works to my benefit actually at my job as well as it does in the woods. But um, <laughs> are you so, hiring? Yeah, that's a good excuse. <laughs> are we hiring? Yeah. yeah, we can use an accountant. <laughs> As, yeah, no, that's a, any 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 environment where uh, you can use a hunting app for work. I mean, that is just bound to be a, a, a it's a win win. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a win win. <laughs> well, brother, I'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up. Hang on for me one second, and I'm gonna yep, close this out. Guys, this has been a great episode. I I always enjoy when I have Tim on, and I hope uh, he feels the same, and he'll continue to come on and share. Uh, some of his stories. You know, it just occurred to me we've never gotten into your Western stories. Outside no, of turkeys. we didn't, did we? We're going to have to do that one day. We're going to have uh, to do that one day. Idaho's a good one. See? That's another. These last these last two big trips that I took, man, I ended up at, like, plan F, G, and H. Like, because <laughs> they've just, like, the turkey tour this year, man. I was at, like, plan J for that. But yeah, yeah. I- Idaho is another one. that that's That's a good one to talk about. But. Yeah, we definitely. I appreciate being on here, man. I appreciate everything you do, and I appreciate being able to just talk hunting with you. Well, thank you, dude. Well, thank you. Well, hang on, and I'm actually going to close it out for this time. Sounds good, <laughs> y'all. I just want to say thank you. We, we we've grown so quickly over these last four months. It has blown my mind, and I know that it has to do with y'all telling people in your community and in your little small circles about the podcast. And I just ask one thing: keep doing so. Share the podcast with one person and. And that will help grow this podcast, and it'll 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 help us grow in the direction we need it to by by adding the kind of listeners who enjoy this kind of uh, storytelling, who enjoy the 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 ups and the downs behind the hunt, and not just the outcome. So, until next time, I'm Walt. Y'all be good.